How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 45 of X-Lapsed, where we are finally, finally going to be wrapping up the Fallen Angels miniseries. I never thought we'd get here, and uh, I just might cry. I mean, I've been looking forward to this for many, many days now. So here we go. We're going to actually wrap this sucker up here. This is, of course, Fallen Angels Volume 2, Number 6, had a March 2020 cover date. Fittingly, it's called Conclusion. Written by Brian Hill with art by Simon Gadransky. Colors Frank D'Armada. Led as VCs Joe Sabino. Designs Tom Muller. Head of X's Hickman. Edits Robinson White Sabolski. Cover price $3.99 American. Went on sale January 29th, 2020. We open with our roll call. And it's, you know, Psylocke, Quanon, Revenge, whatever we're calling her. Cable, Husk, Bling, X-23, and Mr. Sinister. Then we get two pages of people claiming credit to, you know, creating this thing. Uh, so we get into the comics content here, and uh, just three panels into page one, and we already get our regular reminder that, get this, Betsy Braddock once inhabited Quinnon's body. I think that might be a record, though. I could be mistaken. Now, this is overlaid with some expectedly purple narration, during which Psylocke tells us how she destroys everything that she loves. And uh, she must love the hell out of this comic book, then. Now, while our gal is zoned out huffing her own insecurities, we see the rest of the angels running toward something. Psylocke gives X-23 some orders and uh, reminds us that she's still a caterpillar. Uh, then she go- we go into like this full-on Final Fantasy cutscene mode here, like like for real. Like Betsy's running, and I, I can almost hear like the orchestra and the chanting. I swear, looking at this scene, I'm hearing, like, the amped-up bits from Final Fantasy VIII's opening cutscene where, like, Squall and Cypher, or Cipher, whatever, however you say his name, are, are dueling. Is that a good thing? I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's distracting me from this comic we're supposed to be discussing, so I guess we could put a check in the wind column, right? Now, Psylocke runs across some wreckage. Of course, we're in Dubai. It leaps into the air, sprouts psionic butterfly wings, and then ascends toward the top of a nearby skyscraper. Meanwhile, back on the ground, the rest of the angels are being descended upon by some Apotheans. Well, I'm, I'm assuming they're Apotheans. Uh, we don't get all that good a look at them. Cable tosses a phosphorus bomb or something at them, which causes them to fall back a bit. X-23 asks how much crazy Cable brought with him, to which he replies, plenty. Not sure that's going to matter all that much, but great. Back to Psylocke, who is still ascending. Now, atop the tower, she runs into the hefty bag phantom and... Uh, I suppose we could probably just guess that this is the real deal of Poth, maybe. Who cares? 
They talk for a bit before Psylocke places one of them Apothean dome doohickeys on her own head, you know. Uh, she's suddenly surrounded by digital imagery, so maybe she's fighting the big bad bag on his own on his home turf. Maybe I don't know. Down on the ground, the angels discuss whether or not they ought to help Psylocke. Before they can, however, an Apothean psychopath rushes at them. Uh, just when we start thinking there might be some action, Cable just shoots him in the head. There you go. When questioned by X-23 as to why he did this, Cable asserts that this fellow was, quote, already dead. So I guess this is just another way to justify sidestepping that pesky little kill-no-man edict, huh? Unless, of course, the fallen angels, just like the rest of the X-teams, are, quote, officially exempt from following that law. Anyway, back to Psylocke, because we gotta. Apoth is trying to cut a deal. He wants his, quote, mother to sit at his side and whatnot. Psylocke blocks him out and manifests a psionic shield. Apoth blasts at her, but she deflects it. Then, Apoth decides to change form. First, he changes to Quinan's teacher, who we've seen throughout flashbacks. Then to Quinan's lover, who I don't know if we saw during flashbacks, but he announces himself as the lover, so there you go. And then finally, to Quinan's child. From here, we jump back to the ground, and we get some very awkwardly drawn scene of, uh... The angels rescuing some children. At least I think that's what they're doing. It's not even like it matters. I, you know, I don't even know why we bothered adding Husk and Bling last issue, because none of these characters matter here. It's It could have been any any number of different characters. Back to Psylocke. Now, Apoth, in the form of Quinan's daughter, begs her mother not to kill her, but eh, she runs her psychic blade through her anyway. And that's it. Like, really? We spent the last hundred-plus pages building to this confrontation. And just like that, it's over. This is a big bad who was built up as a god. And it's over. Quanan is then visited by that bald-headed entity from a couple issues back. And we learn that this is like the adversary of Apoth, or the opposite. So I guess like the good half of... like if one, it's, This is like Jacob and that other guy from Lost or something. I don't know. Quinan asks why the bad guy, the bald guy, didn't stop Apoth, and oh, but he did, because you see, he sent Quinan to do it for herself. <sighs> we go back to Krakoa. Psylocke and X-23 share a moment. Quinan frees Laura from her fallen angel's commitments. She says that Laura's a leader, despite not really showing that during this mission, or anywhere in the series. Unless there was, like, a whole bunch of managerial mastery happening off-panel, which we didn't see. Couldn't say. Now, Psylocke hopes that she can call Laura a friend, and they embrace. Then we follow Psylocke to Bar Sinister, where she hands over the mechanical doohickey that apparently Apoth still somehow dwells in. Now, she suggests Sinister destroy it, but he says, hey, how about we pretend I did instead? They agree to work together again in the future, so long as it's a mutually beneficial endeavor, which, I mean, let, let's hope they don't. Uh, we wrap up the issue and the series with Psylocke watching the sunset, or maybe the sunrise, I don't know what time it is. Uh, whatever the case, she now knows that she can do some good in this world. We close out this miniseries with a poem that I am not going to read. Next episode, we're going back to the farm, so I know at least one person out there is going to be happy about that. But, uh, yeah, how about we wrap this uh, We wrap this issue up here? We wrap this uh, Fallen Angel series up with some thoughts. It's done. 
I, I could just go to the end theme right now, but no, no, we'll, we'll talk about it some more. I feel like a great big purple butterfly-shaped weight has been lifted off our collective shoulders. And I don't think I've been this happy to be done with a comic since I was reviewing, like, new DC comics, and I agreed to cover the 12-issue Raven Daughter of Darkness maxi-series that came out, oh lord, uh, 2018-2019, I believe, and, uh, it was awful. <laughs> it was really, really bad. And you know, it's actually not too different from this Fallen Angels mini. They were both written by well-regarded writers. That Raven was by uh, Marv Wolfman, you know, and this is Brian Hill. They both had laughably forced depth. Like, really, really forced depth. And in Raven, we couldn't go a page or two without being reminded that Raven is the daughter of Trigon the Tar- Terrible. So it's like... We kept getting this repetition in both series, and uh, we bloated something that didn't need to didn't need near as many pages into something that uh, just barely fit with all the repetition. So let's talk about this final chapter, this issue. I mean, no matter what happened here, it was going to be a letdown, right? So much repetitive build in those first five issues. I mean, what could have happened here that wouldn't have been eye-rollingly disappointing? Quanon confronts Apoth and runs it through with her psychic blade. We really needed 120-plus issue pages for that? This, this is a story that didn't need six issues to be told, and I'm not convinced it needed six pages. I mean, you cut out the repetition, the purple prose, the unnecessary info pages, and the pointless recruitment of Husk and Bling, and you might have what? A four-page backup in a Dawn of X-flavored X-Force or Excalibur annual? I mean, I'd only suggest Excalibur because, uh... Did you know Betsy Braddock once inhabited Quinnon's body? That's a piece of obscure trivia for you. You might want to write it down. Let's, let's talk about some good. Let's talk about good bits of Fallen Angels. I like the idea that this Apoth character kind of focused on Cable as being this man and machine in perfect harmony. It plays a bit into the concept of the post-human, which I believe, as it was described in Hoxpox, was the leap from human over mutant to their next, and for lack of a better term, evolution. Now this might be the first time we see an actual mutant as a link in that evolutionary chain, and uh, I'll admit, that's kind of intriguing. Unless, of course, I'm reading way too much into it, which is absolutely possible because I am looking for anything here. I do like the way Mr. Sinister was handled uh, here in this series. Uh, this wasn't silly, sassy Sinister, but the, you know, creepy, sort of means-to-an-end, obsessive collector and researcher type. You know, this is this is the Sinister I remember. And it was nice seeing him here, even if he was, you know, stuck sharing scenes with a scenery-eating Psylocke. Uh, the art mostly worked, outside of whatever the hell was going on during that scene where X-23 was maybe rescuing children. Uh, the characters there look like oddly placed color forms, which, not a good look. So those were things I liked. <laughs> I, I, to go into things I didn't would be, just like Fallen Angels itself, largely repetitive. But let's do it anyway. Um, Quanan is not a character who can carry a miniseries, or God forbid, an ongoing. She's on, Not only is she not interesting in the slightest, she's aggressively unpleasant. Her sole character trait is that someone marginally more interesting than her once inhabited her body. That, and the fact that she digs butterflies, do not a story make. Uh, X-23, I think she was handled decently here, but in a pretty forced sort of way. 
Her character sort of needed to be, like, complementary to Quinnon's, which is all well and good, but I feel like she quickly became pigeonholed into the role of, like, just giving a slightly different point of view than our lead character, while also delivering copious amounts of exposition when Quinnon couldn't be bothered. Cable, outside of his brief and baffling abduction, was a non-entity here. Uh, did, did we ever find out how he got away from the Hefty Bag Phantom? And, and while on the subject, let's, let's talk the design of a path here. Not great. Not great. <laughs> really, really, uh... It's, you know, we've talked about how this, um, this whole uh, arc, this whole miniseries feels like something out of, like, a 1995 image book, and... The Hefty Bag Phantom here, our, our Big Bad Apoth. You could tell me that he first appeared in Dark Minds number three or something from an image, and I'd believe it. <laughs> you know, it's very, very dated design and uh, pretty uninspired. Uh, Husk and Bling. Why did we even bothering, bother adding them to the team? They did nothing but stand around. Unless, and it gives me a cold chill to even put this out into the universe, unless this miniseries was a sort of, like, pilot or a pitch for an ongoing featuring this ensemble cast? Eh. Or maybe we'll see some more from them when the Cable ongoing series starts up? I hope not. But uh, really and truly, I was hoping to not get a Cable ongoing series to begin with. You know, I knew we'd eventually get a Wolverine, because of course we're going to get a Wolverine, but... I was hoping they'd skip Cable, but they didn't. Off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you who's writing Cable. It might be Brian Hill, for all I know, but uh, I just hope it's not a continuation of this. Uh, let's uh, let's cut away from the creative and talk about a little bit of the uh, behind-the-scenes here. Let's check out the sales for this series, according to the, the folks at Comicron which is something I'm surprised I haven't done already to this point. So we're going to go through these six issues and talk about uh, how well they sold. Now, Fallen Angels number one sold 86,672 copies, which is pretty amazing. I would have I would have lost money on that bet. I would have never, never imagined it got that close to 100,000 copies. Uh, Fallen Angels number two sold 46,859 copies, which is a fairly standard first to second issue attrition. Uh, it is worth noting, New Mutants number one was the top selling book of November 2019, which is pretty weird. Uh, Fallen Angels number three sold 38,883 copies. Issue four sold 37,350 copies. The penultimate fifth issue sold 39,719 copies. And the issue we just discussed sold 39,912 copies. And uh, let me tell you, those are some unexpectedly decent numbers. And I guess that might say a lot for the strength of the Dawn of X brand. But the fact that all six issues were twice monthly probably didn't hurt. As I know, I had to have my DCBS pre-order for issues five and six in before number one even got delivered to my house. So I'm guessing that retailers were in the very same boat, and uh, quality uh, or reader reception was a non-factor in this uh, in these orders. I have a sneaking suspicion that if this were just a monthly book for six issues, uh, sales on the latter three issues probably would have dipped to below twenty thousand. That seems to be the the way these things go. Overall, yeah, like I said, and I'll say again, Fallen Angels was definitely not for me. 
If you dug this, hey, more power to you. If not, well, at least we never have to cover another issue of it again. Knock on wood. So that's Fallen Angels. The issue, the series, all of it in the shell of a nut. But before we go, I do have a a sort of extra-sized mailbag to attend to, so let's get right into that. We're going to start with Damien, and he's talking about X-Men number 5. He says, Following this book, along with X-Lapsed, really changes it because you become aware of where it sits with the other books. In retrospect, the continuity of this issue is a real mess. I'm reading along with you, so I haven't read Fallen Angels number 6 yet, but clearly, Laura just resets back to where she was before the series. And yeah, this is uh, something that uh, that we talked about during the X-Men number 5 issue here. Laura is just back to being, you know, a little Wolverine. And uh, by now, you know how Fallen Angels shook out. And uh, I'm going to reach here, but the only bit of credit I can give them is, uh, you know, at the end, Psylocke suggested that X-23 can be a leader. And in X-Men number 5, she's sort of the de facto leader of her little vault infiltration squad with uh, Darwin and Sink. Eh? <laughs> I honestly doubt that's anything more than a convenient coincidence Rather than a decision that was made going in That's just, you have characters like Sync, Darwin, and X-23 Who are they going to put in charge of that? Of course it's going to be Laura I am not sure why she's no longer worried about being in Wolverine's shadow Unless at some point between Fallen Angels number 1 and X-Men number 5 Marvel started putting designs on relaunching her all-new Wolverine series And, you know, the way they're bloating this Dawn of X line, it wouldn't surprise me. Heck, it would probably surprise me if they didn't try it at this point. There are a lot of books coming out of this series uh, going into 2021. Uh, Back to Damien. He says, As you say, it was a a treat to see R.B. Silva and Marty Gracia back on the art. This issue looks amazing, but I have to admit that I have no idea what's going on. This feels like one of those stories where Hickman is leaning too hard into the sci-fi and losing clarity. And yeah, it's a great-looking issue. And yeah, in many ways it's baffling. Um, I might be projecting here, but I feel like this is the sort of issue that people dig their heels in and say they loved because this is the kind of story many of us expect from Hickman. And as Hickman fans, we gotta, I don't know, like protect the brand, so to speak. But at the end of the day, like, what in the hell happened here? You know, it's kind of all over the place. And don't get me wrong, I'm not discounting anyone who did like this. But I, you know, I I admittedly come from a bit of a hive mind myself. Uh, I'm a really big Grant Morrison fan, who likes stories that feel like Grant Morrison stories, who, for a time, was quick to discount anyone who dared say they didn't like a Grant Morrison story as someone who just doesn't get Grant Morrison stories. Does that make any sense? Or did I just say Grant Morrison a half dozen times for no reason? Uh, I'm taking the uh, scenic route here, simply to say, yeah, I wasn't too big a fan of this, but I can see why people were, and I can also completely understand why some of those people might discount my opinion entirely as, you know, just not getting it, you know? I think that's... I don't want to say that the creator has a cult of personality around him, but uh, a lot of writers do. A lot of writers do. And uh, is this a case of that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, Damien continues... I'm excited for the next couple of issues. X-Men 6 and 7 are both fascinating issues that have a lot to dig into. And the next episode is Marauders number 6, which really ramps up that storyline. And I'm glad to hear that about uh, the X-Men issues. I've been waiting a long time to be wowed by the uh, the book I consider to be the flagship. Um, I, and I'm, I'm guessing many people, 
figure that X-Men will be the flagship of the X-Men line. Um, now, we've already looked at the Fantastic Marauders number 6, which I truly believe to be one of the strongest issues we've looked at yet. Um, it's right up there with the best of Hoxpox, you know, as being, you know, an issue that uh, that I would that I would revisit, where so many of these are just like, okay, get it done, put it in the box, <laughs> get past it, uh, file whatever is needed in, in the back of the brain somewhere and move on. But uh, Marauders number 6 was really, really good. Damien wraps up with, As for the issue fives, my top place is still Marauders, followed by New Mutants. Next, it's X-Men primarily for the art. Then X-Force and Excalibur with Fallen Angels at the bottom. It's not a smooth curve, though, as the top three are quite considerably ahead of the bottom three. And at the bottom, Excalibur is way ahead of Fallen Angels. I genuinely wonder how it got published. I imagine there's some sort of story behind the scenes about this. Usually only get something this bad when editorial and the creative team are working against each other and the book is getting rewritten. And yeah, I mean, we just wrapped up Fallen Angels a couple minutes ago and it is still baffling, isn't it? I think that, you know, if Fallen Angels was published by DC Comics, I feel like this would be a six-issue miniseries that got put, quote, on hiatus after the second. It really just doesn't fit the rest of the line it's not anywhere near the level of quality that we'd come to expect. And I mean, some of these books are very middling, but Fallen Angels stands below even that. You know, we've had some bad issues of X-Force. We've had some bad issues of Excalibur, but Fallen Angels has been consistently, bafflingly bad. <laughs> but uh, that's that's uh, Damien's le- uh, letter here. Thank you so much for writing in. Now, uh... We're going to get to Al Sedano, who wrapped up Hoxpox here. And one of the other letters also did as well that we'll get to in a little bit. Al, talking about Powers of X number 6, he says, Well, here we are at the end of Hoxpox. I'm going to miss doing my reading from this hardcover. I think you're right. Marvel should make this one of their evergreen trades, at least as long as this version of the X-Men is being published. And I truly believe it will be one of those books that Marvel continues to push hard. Uh, I I would say even after this era passes, kind of like, you know, like E is for Extinction, the first uh, Grant Morrison new X-Men run, uh, that's that's close to being evergreen. You know, that's something that I see getting reprinted every now and again, and people still talk about it and and hold it in high regard. So I think think, uh, House of X, Powers of X will be something similar to that. Uh, Al continues, okay, let's get into it. So, the mutants are screwed. Humans hate them for being their replacements, and the post-humans hate them because they worry that the mutants are going to try and stop them from replacing the mutants. Damned either way. And yeah, we're being dropped into some perilous waters at the end of Hoxpox. That that much is for sure. Which, uh, I mean, looking at it that way... When I was in the same spot as Al, having just read Hoxpox, had not touched, uh, you know, Dawn of X... A lot of people were warning me about how uh, promises aren't delivered on, you know. Um, And a lot of the folks I spoke with were kind of disappointed or at least underwhelmed with how the Dawn of X books may have failed to grab that baton and run with it. So, I mean, we have this really good setup. We're, we're We're dropped in a minefield, right, where there's just... So many possibilities and uh, so many promises and expectations. And, I mean, we get books like Fallen Angels. <laughs> we get books where we're fighting in, in Camelot. We, you know, we get uh, cliffhanger deaths every issue, which seemingly, you know, to me, misses the point of this entire era. 
it's a I'll, I'm going to be interested in hearing some of your your Dawn of X thoughts when you uh, when you start reading the uh, your anthology trades. I'm looking forward to hearing hearing your feelings on that, and also listening to the program and seeing uh, seeing how close we are on uh, on these thoughts. Uh, back to Al, uh, the Mora Journal pages. I'm trying to figure out when they take place too. With the mentions of losing Magneto and Apocalypse showing up, could it be late '80s our time? Mags did become evil again after Inferno, and Apocalypse did show up a few years before that. And yeah, this is a bit where I admittedly kind of lost the plot in my analysis. Um, I've been, I don't want to say taken to task, but I've had people raise this point to me um, a few times. Uh, and I, I haven't re-listened to it, but I do remember how I was feeling when I was reading these uh, journal pages. And I feel like that's definitely where I kind of... My analysis kind of went askew. Um, I was taking these pages here, and I mean, there's only like three or four pages, I think. I was taking them as being like an exhaustive look at X history. And that's very much likely fueled by my own paranoia that we were about to have like our entire continuity wiped away or inconvenient bits of the continuity wiped away. I viewed these pages as being like the complete history. So I discounted a lot of the obvious, obvious hints and allusions, right? Because I wanted, you know, I wanted the uh, the whole, you know, explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old sort of a situation there. And uh, that's not what we got. But I, uh, that's kind of the prism I viewed it through, right? Now, Magneto turned bad again. Uh, that, that, that's being discussed here. That's probably from the first three issues of X-Men, Volume 2. So, probably 1991. Um, and this is when Mora was revealed as having altered him during his time as a baby, after he was reverted to baby form in that Bronze Age Defender story. That's something we just recently discussed, or not recently, but in the latest episode of uh, From Claremont to Claremont, we talk all about that, uh, me and Jody uh, Yarden. Uh, Al continues, They don't want precogs on Krakoa, so then Franklin Richards is out. Will this be explained in the Fantastic Four X-Men mini? And I am very much looking forward to finding out. When I started this little project, people were really hyped about, um, you know, getting the X of Tens, right? Where I've been most intrigued by this X-Men plus Fantastic Four story, even from, like, the opening pages of House of X number one, where the Fantastic Four, uh, you know, they caught Sabretooth, and then we had that really tense scene with uh, Reed and Cyclops, and uh, a really weird and passive-aggressive, almost, discussion. I was... That just totally captured my imagination, and I, I couldn't wait to see how that played out here. I love the idea of the mutants kind of like staking their claim on Franklin. And it's uh, it's actually been something I've been looking forward to for like much of my ex-fandom. Ever since I found out that Franklin was a mutant. That's, you know, that seemed like a no-brainer to me. You know, but then, you know, back in the day I was also waiting for like Namor and the Scarlet Witch to join up. But, uh, well, I guess one out of two ain't bad. Now, since I haven't heard a whole lot about that mini since it's come out... I'm I'm bracing for it to be like an underwhelming sort of non-happening. But I still have my fingers crossed. And uh, we will be kicking that four-part series off in two episodes' time. Two episodes from now, and then we're going to run it all the way to the uh, <clears throat> milestone 50th episode of X-Lab. So 47, 48, 49, and 50 will be X-Men plus Fantastic Four. Uh, back to Al. He says, I want to know what Apocalypse is thinking while everyone else is having a huge party. 
And they are doing a moderately good job of, with Apocalypse and Excalibur. Um, now, for several of these opening issues, he's he's like the lone high point. So it's a. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how everything Apocalypse kind of plays out. He's been he's been handled very very well. Uh, Al goes back and he says, uh, "While I do like the X to the Third Power stuff more than you, it's kind of confusing. I promise the Legion is not normally like this, and I'm very happy to hear that." Because these uh, these X Men Year One Thousand bits were, yeah, they were out there. Al continues. I understand your concern about them killing Mora to change things again, but since she only had one life left, maybe I think they're going to hold that from when Hickman leaves and Marvel decides that they're done with this. And yeah, I'm guessing that uh, killing Mora is like their back door to whatever you know will be coming next. Uh, but I'm hopeful that maybe there's a back door to the back door. I want to say that there was a hint that her mutant ability will only work until she's dead ten times. So perhaps, like, the inevitable death of Mora the Tenth won't actually set any dominoes in motion, right? Maybe she'll just pass, and her mutant power won't kick in, and that'll just be the end of her, and we can move on from there. If I were to guess, or bet, I'd say Marvel probably doesn't know exactly where this is going to go just yet. Um, We're still in, like, Dawn of X bloat phase, so we're just trying to cram as many new books into the line as possible. When they inevitably start to drop off, then maybe we'll have a better idea of uh, of whether or not there's going to be any sort of momentum in reverting things, changing things, or just you know starting a whole new whole new era. Maybe we'll get like another twelve part mini maxi series, and who knows? Uh, Al continues, or Al Al concludes with overall, I enjoyed these two minis. They have me interested in reading the Dawn of X books and seeing where we go from here. There are a lot of interesting ways they can go with this whole mutant society background. I'm just curious how well they'll fulfill the promise. And yeah, like I alluded to earlier, fulfilling the promise seems to be where most X-Fans I speak to are you know, disappointed with Dawn of X. Uh, but by now, if you're, if you're still listening along and you've gotten to episode 45, uh, you probably have a better idea of that, so... <laughs> There's that, uh, but thank you for writing in. I'm so happy that you uh, you stuck through for the opening uh, the opening maxi series or the the two mini series that are one, and uh, definitely I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on uh, on the big launch. So uh, if you uh, if you stick around, I'd love to hear more of your thoughts. So thank you. Uh, next we got two short pieces here. One from Chris Bailey, uh, my partner on More Tory Mondays and uh, plenty of other things. And this is talking about Dawn of X number fives. Not not you know not any particular issue of fives, but I did ask people to tell me what their lists were, you know. And he says I'm listening to X Lapsed X Men number five, and I just finished Fallen Angels number five. I have to say my least favorite of all the books is Excalibur. I just can't dig it, and that's saying something after listening to Fallen Angels. And yeah, you know as much guff as I give Fallen Angels. I swear that I enjoy talking about it more than I do Excalibur. I mean, Fallen Angels is kind—it's of, like so up its own ass that it's kind of fun pointing out how precious it is. I don't want to say it's so bad it's good because it certainly isn't, but it definitely, actually, you know, it gives me material to work with. You know, the biggest sin of Excalibur is more in the fact that it's boring. I struggle to find anything good or bad to say about it because. It's like I finish reading an issue of it, and I just go, all right, well, that's something I read. You know, and that's as far as my, my train of thought goes, which 
I guess that might explain why why you guys get such biting analysis from me during an Excalibur discussion as it was nice seeing Rogue and Gambit together because there's really nothing else to say. It's just aggressively dull. <laughs> but thank you for writing in, buddy. Uh, we're going to wrap up with a piece from Evan Bevins. And he, like Al, just finished up Hoxpox. So this is Power of X number six. He says, Wrapping up episode 12, and I haven't del- delved into the Dawn of X stuff yet. But a couple of things I was thinking with the timing of Mora's journal. Maybe because of where I was when I read this and I was listening to From Claremont to Claremont, but I thought the part where they lost Magneto was when Mora's manipulation was revealed in X-Men Volume 2, Number 2. And her faking her death, I thought that was when she, die- quote, died of the legacy virus, but I could be totally wrong. And no, no, I think you're, I think you're 100% right. Um, as mentioned, and probably will be mentioned again, my analysis kind of lost the plot during those journal pages. Um, I was way too concerned with what we might be losing that I never once considered that we were actually instead adding to existing lore. I was just, I was like, had my claws, you know, gripping these past stories. I just didn't want them to go away. And didn't realize that uh, they were just lifting it up and putting something underneath it to prop it up a little bit, you know? Uh, Evan uh, wraps up with... And although it may not be clear, I think all the X-Men stories we know happened in the most recent life, even though clearly some events happened in the other lives as well. And yeah, there's definitely some overlap in the lives. And uh, after reading the first arcs of all these Dawn of X books, I'm much more comfortable with the idea that everything we know is happening since X-Men number one, way back in 63, uh, that actually occurred in Mora's, you know, current and re- most recent and current life. So I'm definitely feeling... A lot more uh, assured in that, um, I don't want to say fact, because who knows, but uh, I'm pretty sure that everything that we've read from X-Men number one uh, till now is is all part of Mora's Tenth Life. So that's a, that's a good thing, if you ask me. And uh, thank you so much for uh, following along and, and also sharing your thoughts there, Evan. Uh, now, if anybody else would like to uh, chime in and uh, let me know your thoughts uh, anywhere, from, uh, you know, Hawks, Pox number, Hawks number one to, I guess, Fallen Angels number six. Uh, please feel free to write in. Uh, you can reach me at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Uh, you can find show notes and stuff at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, also xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can find the Facebook page at 90s X-Men, and uh, the audio archives is at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. I'm hoping that uh, my little... Uh, Major X-Lap stunt didn't scare too many people away. Uh, <laughs> that was one thing that I put together and uh, quickly found out that absolutely nobody wanted it. So uh, we'll see if we go back to that well. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But uh, till then, or actually till next time when we discuss uh, New Mutants number 6, Back on the Farm. I will just say one huge thank you to everyone for hanging out and sharing your time with me. And uh, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.